0: Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker.
1: Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse were in divorce court with Judge Judy. And Judge Judy said, You say here that your wife is crazy. And Mickey said, I'm going to bleep this out, so don't worry, it's a swear word. And Mickey said, No, I didn't. I said, She's beep and goofy.
2: I'm Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis-Nuneman from 89.3 KPCC in Los Angeles. This is The Dinner Party Download, the show that helps you win your next dinner party. Our
0: icebreaker this week came from our guest of honor, rock musician Benji Faree. We'll be speaking with him later. But first, time for Small Talk.
2: So Rico, this week, President Obama decided to allow research into stem cells. Stock investors finally decided to buy instead of sell and Bernie Madoff got thrown innocent. Oh my god. Yes. But the folks
0: at your dinner party already know all that, so we asked our friends at Marketplace to tell us about some stories your guests won't know. John Haas, editor at Marketplace, what story are you going to be talking about at your weekend dinner party? There was this family that was just about
3: to get kicked out of its cave, and, uh, wait, 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 what? They actually live in a cave. They built a house inside a cave, and, uh, but they're about to foreclose just like many other people in America. So this businessman in New Jersey, that he's going to fund their mortgage for them to stay where they are.
0: You know, I know it's a nice house, but it still seems like a sign of the times when the happy ending is you get to stay
2: in a cave. Stacey Vanek-Smith, senior reporter here at Marketplace, what are you going to be talking about this weekend?
4: The new iPod Shuffle.
2: What's new about the iPod Shuffle?
4: this one talks. It talks? Yeah, here. Listen to this.
2: We walk that jing <laughs> So it tells you the name of the artist and the song?
4: Yes, but I mean, I don't know about you, but like 80% of my iPod is full of shame music. <laughs> I mean, you know that you're going to be standing in line at some cafe trying to look cool and you're going to hit the button and it's going to be like I ran flock of seagulls.
2: MC Hammer, you can't touch this. <laughs> Patty Hirsch, senior editor here at Marketplace. What story are you going to be talking about? I'm going
5: to be talking about a skeptics group that's going to be teaching a, a bogus course to nurses.
2: How are they teaching this bogus course to nurses?
5: Well, th- this is a, a bunch of skeptics who find out under California
2: law they're able to sort of set up any old course they like and teach it for credit for nurses. And they're just saying, you know, it's ridiculous, the kind of things that can get taught. So they're teaching this fake course which includes anthropomancy, which is the art of reading entrails and telling people's future from it. And have you yourself seen any evidence that this course is actually going to be taught?
5: I have. I've, I have, I've spoken to... Uh,
2: I, think, I think you should practice a little skepticism on your own. They're so skeptical that I, I believe that, uh, that they're actually going to do this. Well, I'm skeptical of your skepticism. And now,
0: time for cocktails. As usual, we tell you about something that happened this week in history, then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like college with booze. In other words, it's like college. Precisely. First, the history part. This week back in 1781, a new planet was discovered.
2: Now the folks at your dinner party will know we're not talking about Pluto because it's not a planet, no matter how sad it is to admit that. I hate it. But our friend Michelle Philippi has a happier tale.
4: Sir William Herschel gave new meaning to the term the music of the spheres. Born in Germany, he moved to England as a teen and made a name for himself as a composer you're listening to one of his symphonies. But Herschel was one of those guys who's always throwing off the grade curve. Once he mastered music, he just had to master math, which got him interested in astronomy. So interested that when he couldn't afford a telescope, he made his own. Soon his telescopes were considered the best in the country. And on March 13, 1781, he was using one in his backyard when he spotted what he thought was a comet turned out it was a planet, the first new one to be discovered in thousands of years. King George III set him up with a sweet salary and asked him to name the new world. Herschel wisely went with Georgium Cetus, George's star. It was the first planet not named for a Roman god. Herschel thought that was appropriate for his enlightened era. Of course, he and other enlightened men of the day also thought the sun was probably inhabited. Anyway, the name wasn't a big hit, especially with England's enemies. For a while, the French just called the planet Herschel. But 70 years later, even England agreed on the name Uranus, after the Greek god of the sky. And yes, that's the correct pronunciation, though giggling grade schoolers of our enlightened era will beg to differ.
0: So that's the history now for the drink to serve with it. I'm talking with Dan Boggs. He is behind the bar at A-plus in Houston, home of NASA. And, Dan, you heard the history. What drink does it inspire you to make?
5: Uh, It's called the Astronauty's Deep Space Freeze.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I almost hesitate to ask you what's in it because the name is so great (laughs) that I can't possibly live up to it.
5: Well, it basically uh, has a blueberry puree because it looks like a deep space blue. Uh, also, the planet Uranus is blue. so It's Uranus, uh, dude. Uranus. Yep, exactly. <laughs> but uh, it's a rum-based drink. I use uh, 10-cane rum, the blueberry puree, just a dash of lemon juice and put a little bit of maple syrup in there. That's the secret ingredient. It's almost like uh, blueberry pancakes a little bit, but uh, better because it has rum in it.
0: You know, Uh, I have to say that (laughs) it suddenly occurs to me, though, that if this is an astronaut drink, it really should have tang in it.
5: (laughs) Well, I didn't have any tang laying around, so I had to uh, improvise with what I had.
0: So how do you finish it off?
5: Well, basically it's a martini, so you really want to shake the hell out of it and make it really, really cold, like deep space, and serve it up in a martini glass, and I have fresh blueberries that I've been garnishing it with. Or you could use a uh, lemon twist.
0: This could be like the official astronaut's drink.
5: You probably don't want to be too boozed up out there. Um, but, that's uh, true. A
0: lot of people don't know that's uh, why things went haywire on Apollo 13. <laughs> Houston, we have a problem. We drank a dozen mojitos.
4: i lost in
1: space,
2: but I don't have a
1: charge. who
2: the
0: So, you know, Brendan, I felt bad about scolding Dan about his pronunciation of, you know, that planet because it's a losing battle, right? It's like you can either sound like a five-year-old or a
2: snob. Dude, I'm not touching Uranus with a 10-foot pole. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going
0: there. All right. Well, (laughs) with email, pronunciation is not an issue. So type anything you like, send it to kpcc.org.
2: Our guest of honor this week is Benji Faree. He has a new album out called Come Back to the Five and Dime, Bobby D, Bobby D. It's about child actor Bobby Driscoll, who Peter Pan was modeled after. And Benji, Bobby Driscoll went on to kind of have a tragic death at an early age. What compelled you to write about him?
1: Well, because I I thought I was Peter Pan until I was five. And I really thought I was Peter Pan. I was really obsessed with Peter Pan. And I was obsessed with, with flying. And But it's also a tribute to my friend Chris, who uh, he had cancer at the time, and you know, he passed away a few months ago. I sang at his funeral, and you know, so it's a tribute to Chris, to Bobby Driscoll, and, and the the hopes and dreams of the boys and girls of Prince George's County. And that's where you're from, right? It's near D.C. Yeah, it's it's pretty close, but I'm I'm a totally different breed, you know. Marylanders. Well, that's are, what I was going to ask. Yeah. Because
2: because when I think D.C., I think punk and post-punk. Your heroes strike me as being T-Rex, Led Zeppelin.
1: Uh, is that a regional distinction no no well I'm obsessed with like, Sam cook and Johnny Cash are my heroes okay I mean I definitely grew up on you know Zeppelin in high school because that was the one band that that frat boys Liked that you could also bond with you could also agree <laughs> with um, Steve Miller I'm an apologist for Steve Miller I mean he's got some jams you know and I you know I, I love me some Zeppelin, but I don't really like sit around and they don't make me cry what about Freddie Mercury? Saying? Does he make you cry? He makes me cry, yeah. <laughs> Cause All there's the a time. little bit of that too. There's a little queen in there. Well, I wear that with a badge of courage. When you're running for dear life and there's nowhere else to turn, when a candle's left alone on fire something just my burn is coffee.
2: So, on our show, we have two standard questions. And the first one is uh, what question are
1: you tired of being asked in interviews? Um, It's okay, this is the, the typical question that really bothers me. So, you have a new album? Yeah, tell me about it. All right, there's that. That, usually that means they didn't listen to the record and I always ask them, well, did you listen to the record uh, oh I listened to it. I'm like what the three songs on the website for free right on <laughs> you didn't listen to the record you didn't have it in your hands did you that's cool um, I can tell you about it but you'd have to listen to it that's that's my story of telling you about the record yeah. if you don't want to listen to it peace baby you don't have to listen to the record there's a billion records out there because of the internet It's free, everything's free and that is all good you can have it please don't listen to my record if you don't you want know, don't, you don't have to interview me we can go have lunch talk about sports <laughs> Um, so there's that question that, that kind of, you know.
2: All right. We have a second question on the show. Yeah. Tell us something that we don't know.
1: Well, I mean, I think a lot of hipsters and movie buffs probably know this, but to those that don't, that are big, you know, Bugs Bunny fans... Our fans of Mel Blanc, he was the voice of Twiggy on Buck Rogers. Did you know that, Brennan?
2: <laughs> I didn't know that, really? Isn't that great? That's great. The Mel Blanc?
1: Yeah, Mel Blanc was the voice of Twiggy. It's, it's, him, it's him as an older guy, but he sounds a little bit like Sylvester, you know, just a little bit. He's crazy. When I was a little kid, I'd tell my father I wanted my hair cut like
2: Buck Rogers. Did you really? Gil Gerard. Uh, yeah.
1: Gil Gerard had serious hair part on the side, you know, and, and also yeah, a little bit yeah. of hair, just a little bit over the ears.
2: I like that look, I still rock it.
0: Except Brendan, your haircut doesn't look anything like Buck Rogers.
2: Alright, man, it's radio.
0: They don't have to know that. But that's true. That's true. <laughs> to see a picture of Brendan's non-Buck Rogers haircut, <laughs> go to dinnerpartydownload.com. You can download a track from Benji's album there too.
1: There comes a time when we all must go. The, the red line. But day of the so far away the yeah.
2: So we've met our guest of honor. Now it's time for the main course, the part of the show where we usually learn about food, but as I understand it, not this week. That is right. Brendan, today, we feast on knives. Sounds like someone was watching Les Miserables again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, this week... Bruce Lee. (laughs) I talked with a guy who makes knives. His name is Joel Buckowitz.
2: Appropriate for a knife guy?
0: Buck knives. That's
2: right, destiny.
0: Nice. But everyone's talking about these kitchen knives he grinds by hand in his warehouse in Brooklyn. Uh, He calls his business Cut Brooklyn. But it turns out knives were not his first calling.
3: I guess at the age of 25, I made a decision that I was going to be a novelist. What kind of books did you write? Uh, Literary fiction, I guess. It was about a climbing trip in Africa. And I had spent some time over there, so it was like hideously autobiographical. But (laughs) it was a fun like two years, two, three years. (laughs) And I get the connection
0: between writing and knife making because I know writing makes me want to stab my own eyes out. (laughs) But for you,
3: what took you from novels to knives? What it was for me was I had just finished this massive piece. So I messed around and uh, I did lots of things like fishing, hiking, outdoorsy type things. So you were kind of like Hemingway. I I don't know about like Hemingway, but somehow the leap from that work to like making a knife was pretty short. Made, you know, my first knife out of a rusty piece of steel that I couldn't harden. It wasn't really a knife, but it was utterly satisfying because when you're done with something like that, you know, you're done Mm. when it's sharp and it can cut stuff, then it's a knife, you know? And I think that's what hooked me.
0: Now we don't have time to go through every step in the process, but let's hit the high points. What is the hardest part about making a a good knife? I would
3: say actually grinding the blade so that it's thin enough at the edge is pretty tricky. You get down to where you're at like five thousandths of an inch thick, and it has to be that that same thickness all the way along the edge. It's pretty tricky. Those belts are moving 100 miles an hour, so it's like laying on top of the highway with three thousandths of an inch (laughs) beneath you, yeah. So how does it work? Do you have a catalog, or do I order individually? Everything that I make is made to order. People call me and I talk to them how they cook, what they like to cook and then go from there. This is a, but this is actually a good point. I barely know what each knife in like my IKEA knife rack is supposed to be right. used
0: for. How do you choose a good knife? You say you know that's a perfectly balanced. How do I know
3: before I actually start using it? I mean, when you feel it, you'll know it's like you hold a good knife. It's a Big piece of steel, but it'll feel light in your hand. The tip feels light, but then when you chop on the board, the heel will drop with authority. And I absolutely encourage people to hold any knife before they buy it if they're serious about getting a good piece. It's a little bit like love, I think. I think you know when you feel it. And also,
0: like love, a good knife will cost you a ton of money. Whoa. Joel's knives can cost as much as 400 bucks a pop.
2: I always thought love was like a spork. Okay. It doesn't really exist after high school.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. And that's the Dinner Party Download for this week. Special thanks to our researcher Jessica Dial, also Kevin Ferguson, uh, Eric Johnson, and Laris Kreslins.
2: Okay, and of course, to John Raby and Queenie Kim... We're regular contributors to their show Off Ramp. You can hear it at kpcc.org. We leave you, as always, with One for the Road,
0: a song to listen to on your way to or departing from this weekend's dinner party. It's from the
2: appropriately named singer Emmy the Great, and the song is called First Love. Oh, so it's about knives. Sporks. (laughs) Bon appétit.
4: I remember how we met But your name I forget Like the door that I have kept unopened I remember it was wet and the swelter and the sweat and the shelter of the bed we were cloaked in you were stroking me like a pet but you didn't own me yet and the tape in the cassette deck was choking spat out a broken hallelujah
0: I'm Rakogel, you know. I'm Brindaninum. But the kids just call us Uranus. Yeah.